Hey, let's get into the Word this morning. I want to talk to you about worship. I want to talk to you about the holiness of God. I want to talk to you about a story that I've, uh, I've been encountering in fresh ways in the last two weeks. And I think over the next two or three weeks, I want to unpack not just this one story here, these individuals, but also other individuals that are encountering God in incredible ways. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm just seeing that the Lord is calling us back to encounter, encountering His holiness. This is popping a lot, so I want to move it down a little bit more away from my... Is that okay? All right. If I need to, I can just grab the little mic right there. Uh, that, 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 um, I'm just sensing that the Lord is calling us to encounter His holiness again. All right. So jump with me, if you would, to uh, the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus in the ninth chapter. I want to start here, and then we're, we're going to go back in time just a little bit here. Uh, Leviticus is, is uh, the story of, of, of sort of God's people as they have come out of Egypt, as they've come out of slavery, they're, moved, they, they're moving into the promised land. Um, we know that God is raising up a new nation. He's raising up a people. The Bible calls them a peculiar people. You are a peculiar people. Some of you are more peculiar than others. <laughs> but you are, a, you are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, says the, says the word. But God has called them out, and he wants to put in, put, in, put in practice not just freeing them from, he wants to free them for. He wants to set up a nation that will, 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 will carry his character and, and bear his name to the nations. So one of the ways that he does that is he sets up, he establishes a system of worship. He doesn't just say, hey, friends, whenever you get a chance, worship me however you want. He knows that their hearts are so corrupt and so broken that he's got to lay out a very clear understanding of what does it mean to be in relationship with a holy God. He wants to be in relationship with them, but they don't know how to do that. And he says, I want to show you clearly how you walk in relationship with me. So he's going to give them the law. Y'all say the law. The law is good. The law is not bad. The law shows them this is, how you have a, this is how you walk out a relationship with me. They are saved by grace, right? Grace brought them out of Egypt. You and I are saved by grace. But this law shows them this is how you walk out a relationship. It's like if you get married. When you get married, there's an understanding of how you are to relate to one another. You don't cheat on one another. That is a law of marriage right? You don't abuse one another. That is a law of marriage. That is how you maintain relationship is by honoring expectations and honoring character. So God, God is establishing this, uh, this, this order in this system of worship, and he does it in several ways. He builds this tabernacle. He says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to build a tabernacle. It's going to look this way. It's going to have these kind of things on it, and that's where I'm going to dwell. I'm going to dwell in your midst, and you're going to, this tabernacle is going to move with you, Whenever I say to move, you're going you're, you're to pack up this tabernacle and it's going to go with you. And then when you set camp again, set up the tent, set up the tabernacle. And that's where I'm going to be. And he also says, and also, he also, God also says, and there's going to be certain individuals of you that I have set aside to be keenly devoted to me. They're ones that are, that are set apart. They are the Kohenim. They are the priests. And there's going to be a certain number of you that are going to be my holy priesthood. And you are going to serve me in the temple. You're going to serve me in the tabernacle. And you, priest, are going to be responsible for being an intermediary between an unholy people and a holy God. You will be the one who goes in and offers these sacrifices. You alone are the ones who are consecrated to stand before me in my presence on behalf of your people. And it begins to unpack page after page after page 
of, of, of these laws and regulations and expectations. And he calls as the very first of that priesthood who? Do you guys know who that is? Aaron. Aaron is the older brother of Moses. And he says, Aaron is going to be my priest and his sons and his sons' sons after him. A whole line. We call it the Aaronic priesthood. And in Exodus, he begins to unpack what that looks like. But here, let's, let's jump into to, to 9. In chapter 8, rather, rather, Aaron and his sons are ordained. Now, some of you have ordination. I have ordination. Ordination is sort of a, a, it's almost a consecration for ministry, right? And this is one of the first examples of that. And God in chapter 8, God is, God is saying, bring Aaron and his sons to me. I'm going to consecrate them for worship. I'm going to ordain them for worship. So they come in and they're all dressed in these, in these you know, I'm going to take this off. Where's the handheld? This, this is driving me crazy and I have a lot of patience. All right, how's that? Oh, I'm about to preach now. Come on. All right. So uh, in, in chapter 18, he's going he's to ordain the priest. He's going to ordain Aaron and his sons. And he said they're, they're going to be dressed in a certain way. They've got this incredible outfit that they wear. In Exodus, unpacks what that looks like. They're in these, this linen ephod, and they've got this breastplate on. They've got this turban. And on the turban is a little gold, solid gold plate that says, Holy unto the Lord. And then in this ordination service, they sacrifice all the animals. They put blood on them. They put blood on their ear, blood on their hands, blood on their fingers, all this other kind of stuff. Aaron and his sons, they're doing this, and they're set apart for the Lord. Um, And here is what it says in in 9. The priests begin their ministry. And I'm speaking to you as a kingdom of priests. So this is our legacy here. You, King's Church, are a kingdom of priests. So says Exodus 19, and so says Peter. You are a kingdom of priests. I want to get to that a little bit more later on. Chapter 9. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, he goes on to tell him, here are the things, here are the animals that I want you to sacrifice. They begin their ministry. Go to verse 22. Here's where I want to land. Then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. So this is, this is Aaron for the first time serving as the first priest of God's people. He is the first in a line that will last thousands of years. And he lifts up his hands and he blesses the people having just offered sacrifices that God has ordained for them. This is worship for God's people. Our worship is a lot different. Praise God for that. Aren't you grateful that you don't have to bring livestock every Sunday? I'm grateful. Where's our cleaning team? Aren't you grateful we don't have to clean up blood every single week? All we got to do is deal with lights that aren't working. Imagine having to clean up blood and carcasses and ashes and things every single week. Every day, day after day, morning, noon, and night, there's sacrifices being offered up. And this is the first time where this is really put into place. He bled, um, so Aaron lifted up his hands. Verse 23, Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. This is that special place where God says, I'm going to meet face to face with the ones who come into this place. Wouldn't that be incredible? So Moses and Aaron go in there. When they came out, they blessed the people. Listen to this. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. 
Y'all, what's that look like? What does it look like for the glory of the Lord to appear? I want to see that. I want to, I want to know what, is that, what that looks like. I don't know. I wasn't there. But as soon as they blessed the people, suddenly something manifested in their presence. And the glory of the God was there. Now, I felt the glory of God. How many of you have felt the glory of God? I felt the glory of God, the weight, that Shekinah glory, that heaviness that holds upon you. That's glory. But imagine seeing the glory of God appearing before your eyes. I think we're going to see it in the days to come. I think God is going to begin to reveal that more and more in the days to come. It says, listen to this, verse 24. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions of the altar. It doesn't say that the priest lit the thing on fire. I got to do that with our fireplace at home. We put logs in. We got all this stuff. We got a little fire. I've got to dig up that little lighter up on the top of the mantle. I got to click the thing and I got to let it and start it and blow on fire. I got to blow on it. That's not what happens here. They step back. They've got this carcass on the altar. And all of a sudden, fire just falls from heaven and sets the thing ablaze. The glory is there. Fire falls on the, fat, on the burnt offering. When all the people saw it, they shouted for joy. Y'all say, shouted for joy. Come on. They shouted for joy and they fell face down. Right? That's what's going to happen when we see the manifest glory of God. We're not going to be sitting passively saying, oh, that was so nice. Even those of us that are not shouters, we're going to be shouters one day. Even those of us that really don't like being face down, you know, we got bad backs, we got arthritis, something's going to happen and we're going to find ourselves face down before the Lord because that's what happens when you encounter a holy God. Verse 10, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, pause right there. If this were a movie... we would know very well who these two characters are because they've been in the story from the very beginning. We just haven't paid attention. They've been here since Exodus, since Exodus chapter 6 when it begins to talk about the genealogy of Aaron. And Aaron had sons, and the first two of those were two young men named Nadab and Abihu. And it's usually what happens when God introduces something in a lineage that tends to be forgotten. We mention it once just so we can get on the record, but not so in the rest of the book of Exodus. You see, almost every time, almost every time Aaron is mentioned, guess who's mentioned with him? His sons. Aaron and his sons. Aaron and his sons. Aaron and his sons. Let me show you what I mean. Go to verse 24. This is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. My favorite chapters of the Bible. Almost one of my, it's almost my favorite chapter. Can I have a favorite? It's almost my favorite one. Exodus 24 says this. The Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord. This is Moses. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. Moses, I want you to come on up. Okay, God, I'm going to come up and... I want you to bring your brother Aaron. Okay, I'll bring Aaron. And bring his boys with him. I got an awesome dad. I got an awesome brother who's two years older and like six inches taller. I wish I could be half the men that my brother and my father are. And I know that growing up so many times, they pulled me along. They included me. My dad would bring me along to work sites when he would work construction. And my brother would include me. You know, it's just like, imagine what this is like. Aaron says, boys, we're going up to the mountain. 
You and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, names them by name. And 70 of the, there's tens of thousands of people here. And only 74 get to go up. And two of them are these two young boys. You are to worship at a distance. Listen to this. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near. And the people may not come up with him. Moses, do you understand what I said? Yes. Yes, sir. I understand what you said. But here's the craziest thing. I'm, I'm getting a little bit off. Bear with me here. When Moses went and told the people everything, they said, yes, we'll do all of that. Skip on down. He got up early, built an offering, he, uh, an altar. He reads the book of the covenant. Go to verse 9. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. And you're thinking, wait a minute. I thought, I thought the word said that nobody can see God and live. I did too. I'm just reading it. They saw the God of Israel under his feet with something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright as blue as the sky. Listen to this, verse 11. But God did not raise his hand against these leaves. Why would God have raised his hand in the first place? Because what did he just say before? He said, only you, Moses, can come up. Yet somehow, they're all up there. I don't know what happened in between. Maybe, maybe Moses went on behalf of God and said, God, really, listen, could you let all of us come up? I've seen your, I've seen your glory, but let Aaron see your glory. Let these two boys see your, please let us come up. And maybe God relented. Maybe, maybe God said, yes, come on up. He says this, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. And I want you to, just stay here for just a moment and think about what this is really saying. They're experiencing something that no one on the face of the earth had experienced. And these two sons, Nadab and Abihu, get to experience something that they've never known. They've seen the smoke on the altar. They've seen or the smoke on the mountain. They've seen the fire on the mountain. But they're in the presence of God himself, eating and fellowshipping. I'm telling you what, I want that for my kids. I want that for my son and my daughters. I don't want them just to know about God from a distance. I want them to be drawn up into his very presence, face to face, sharing intimately with him. And this is what they get to experience. And it goes on through the rest of Exodus Every time they're mentioned, God, God specifically says, I want you to do this for Aaron and his sons. Aaron and his sons, you're, you're going to consecrate them. Make these clothes. Make this for Aaron. But then his boys get this little outfit too. And they make it. And back to Leviticus 8, they're ordained. And the blood of the ordination is still Fresh on their earlobes and on their hands and on their toes. And they have something that very few in the history of the world had ever had, a face-to-face encounter with God. I got to tell you, if anybody is destined for greatness, it's going to be these two. If anybody is called and set apart, for great things, it's these two. So let's see what happens. First chapter 10. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, 
small little containers of incense. Put fire in them and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. God's people have always wrestled a lot with that. How arbitrary it seems. How vindictive it seems. How rash and unyielding and inflexible. How could God do something like that? And it cuts against our sensibilities. It doesn't make sense. I thought God was a God of grace, forgiveness, right? We don't exactly know what unauthorized fire, the KJV calls it strange fire. Maybe your translation calls it profane fire. We just know that it was something contrary to what God had said. And the reason that I unpacked everything that I did is to cement in your minds that these individuals, more than anyone else, would have understood what was at stake. They would clearly have understood what God was asking and requiring of them. And I think that's the first hurdle to get over, is that this was not an oops. This was not an accident. This was careless, intentional disregard for the holiness of God. And I know that it grieved the heart of the Father in that moment when he said, fire must fall. But look at what he says later on. He says, this is what the Lord, Moses then comes to Aaron. I don't, I don't know how this comfort, I, I'm sure they're seeing it all. I'm sure they're all there. I'm sure Aaron is watching this horrific act unfold before his eyes. I'm sure Moses is there too. I'm sure it's just this stunning in turn of events, and like, what in the world just happened? And Moses comes, puts his arm around his grieving brother, and he says, listen to me, brother. This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. And I know that it grieves the heart of God when he snaps his finger, and the fire leaps out and consumes these two ones that he has called by name. But the Lord says there's too much at stake. At this point in the game, there's too much at stake. There must be an understanding that I am a holy God, and I will have a holy people. So we don't know what happened. It could be several things. It could have been you know, the, the timing may have been incorrect. Um, it could have been uh, they were not permitted to go in uh, and necessarily do that. Maybe it was just for, just for Moses to go in and offer and put fire in their censers. A few chapters later, there's some instructions given about drunkenness. So it's possible, it's possible that they were drunk when this was happening. We simply don't know. All we know is that this was a willful act and God brought judgment down upon them. And I, I think, you know, I think about through God's word, how many times we've seen this. Uh, praise God, not often. But it's there. And here's, let me kind of nail down this main idea for you. 
the nature of this was not a mistake or ignorance. This was careless disregard for the holiness of God. They had encountered God. They knew Him. They knew what He was like. They knew what He had required. This especially cuts to my heart whenever I swim in the waters of the Christian enterprise in our, in our culture. By that, of course, I mean how, how we have commercialized our faith. Don't get me wrong. I, I love things that are helpful. I love tools like Bible study books that are helpful. I love beautiful decorations, you know, that inspire and remind me of God's goodness. I'm all for, for people being creative and, and, and making, you know, selling and earning a living, but there's something, that, there's something about how in our culture that we have just turned our faith into this enterprise, whether it's in music, whether it's in our bookstores with our stuff everywhere, whether it's in conferences and all, you know, all this other stuff. And in chapter 10, verse 10, God goes on to say this. He says, you must distinguish between the holy and the common. God says, you, priests, you have to learn the difference between what is holy, what is set apart for me, and what is profane, what is common, what is ordinary. And I, I sense he's saying the same thing to the church today, to you and I. We have to learn to distinguish between things that are holy and of God that he's called us to. And things of the world that are just junk that we just need to say no to. Couple couple ways I think this applies to us. Number one, I think you and I are meant for greatness. I believe that. I believe that in this new covenant Pentecostal season, we are meant for we are destined for greatness. Now, when I say greatness, you know you know what I don't mean? I don't mean fame, I don't mean wealth, I don't mean privilege and acclaim and all those things. I mean greatness in the kingdom of God. I mean greatness in terms of being, being closer to the heart of Jesus than we've ever been before. More in tune with what he's saying, more in tune with the Spirit than we've ever been. I think that's what we're meant for. We're meant for that. We're meant for Exodus 19 kind of stuff. Although the whole earth is mine, you are my treasured possession. You will be for me a kingdom, a priest, and a holy nation. We're meant for that. And if we're meant to stand as priests, then we have to be able and willing to share his holy character. We can't. We can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. I also think that God wants to reveal his glory to the nations. I see that. I'm believing that if the tabernacle was a dwelling place of God, then... What is the dwelling place of God now? This? No. This is a building. It's going to burn up in the end. You, friends, you, your hearts, 
You, the people of God, you're the dwelling place of God. So if the glory can be manifest there, I believe that the Lord wants to manifest his glory to the world again in greater ways. Yet a careless disregard for God's holiness will only bring destruction. We'll just think about some examples real quick. Sean and Lydia, you guys can come on up too. I'm going to land this plane here just in a second. Some examples. Careless disregard for God's holiness. Think about even in Genesis chapter 3. Oh God, it's only an apple. Come on, it's only a piece of fruit. Why are you depriving me of this delicious piece of fruit? I mean, it's, the, it's from the tree that you made. It's good. Think about Genesis 19. A lesser known story about a man named Lot and his wife, whose name we don't know. God snatches them out of judgment through mercy, pulls them out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angel has said to them, run and don't look back. Turn away from the things of the world. Don't look back again. And Lot's wife needed one more last glance. Read the story in Genesis 19, judgment. Think about 2 Samuel chapter 6. This man named Uzzah who was walking behind the Ark of the Covenant as it was being carried, drawn by oxen. Everybody knows, don't touch the Ark. Don't touch the Ark. But Uzzah decides, oh, my hand is much better than the Ark hitting the ground. It's about to fall. God, we can't let your presence hit the ground. So I'm going to steady it. And in steadying it, his heart stops and he falls over dead. Why? Because he does not take the holiness and the law of God seriously. And you say, well, that's, that's just the old way. That's the Old Testament. That's God in his wrath. We live under the new covenant, right? Y'all say new covenant. Amen. And then go to Acts chapter 5. Read about pillars of the church named Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, they were pillars of the church. He was on the elder board. She was worship leader. I don't know, making that up. It came time for giving. And the call was put out there, give generously to the Lord. We're going to bring it all in. We're going to give it, we're going to give it away to the poor, those who need it. We're going to share with those. Everybody can come and give freely. You, you want to give? Come on. That's, thank, it's so generous. Thank you for coming. Oh, Anna, Anna come on in. And they brought in, and they said, look, we sold some land, and here are the proceeds that we, this is, we sold, we got a good price, here it is. Didn't say that, that was only a small portion of what they got for the land. Now, is that because God was just angry because he didn't get enough money from them? No. Just as Leviticus 10, with the birth of a nation. So in Acts chapter 5, with the birth of the church, holiness matters. God's law and character matter. And it matters to you and I. We cannot, cannot, cannot move into a relationship with the Father offering profane fire of worship things that we know are dishonoring to God, but we simply don't care because we don't want to give it up. God may not strike us dead. I hope he doesn't. 
But I pray that there's a time when anybody who comes into the presence of God is just consumed with the weight of His holiness. It says, God, what do you want from me? What kind of fire do you want from me? I don't want to do it my way. I'll do it your way. I don't want to swim in the sewers of the world on Saturday and then come into the sanctuary of the Most Holy on Sunday. I don't want to say one thing on my Instagram post and quote my verse of the day and then be slandering people and slandering things on my post on the, the, the very next moment. I want to be true through and through. I want to have integrity. I want to be like a tuning fork where when you strike me, boom, I hum and I vibrate in the frequency of God. God says, that's the kind of people I'm going to make. That's the kind of people that I'm going to touch the world through. Amen. Come on, stand up. Stand up, y'all. You've been patient. Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray for us here in a moment. We're going to just move into time of ministry. We've got some worship going on. Let me just think for a minute and see what the Lord wants to say or do. The Lord's reminding me that holiness comes out of love. Holiness does not come out of anger or vindictiveness. His love is a holy love. We sang it. Jealousy. God is jealous for you. He will not share your heart with another. His love is too deep and too rich for you to come in and offer whatever, whatever, fire that you want to and think that's going to be acceptable to him this is not about performance it's not about works it's about a condition of the heart heart where self is on the throne that says god i'll worship you any way i want you should just be thankful that you have anything from me a worship that's underneath the throne that says god you you get what you deserve whatever pitiful worship i have it all belongs to you God says, that's the one that I'm going to elevate. That's the one who is destined for life. That's the one who is destined to see my glory and to be with me. In Exodus 24, kind of things face to face. The Lord says, I don't care what kind of lineage you have. I don't care what kind of experience you have. I don't care how many prophetic words have been spoken over you. If you cannot come into my presence in the way that I, I expect, I demand, then you've lost it all, says the Lord. I don't care how many conferences you go to, how many things you've read, how many you know, podcasts you've listened to. Do not come and offer profane fire on my altar when I have showed you what I've expected of you, what I desire for you, what I am empowering you to give. So Father, I just pray, God, I pray, help us to learn this. Help us to learn this, God. God, free us from carelessness and casual disregard for you and your holy name. Free us from that, God. Let us get, a, get gripped by your glory, God. Let us get gripped by your glory. We want to get gripped by it, God. We want to see it, encounter it, be changed by it. So Father, I, just, I, I pray, Lord, as the Father of this house, Lord, Father's house. God, let us be a people that honor you, that honor you, 
in spirit and in truth. 24-7, Lord. At any cost. Whatever the culture wants to do to us, let it come. So we will worship you and honor you at any cost. Let's worship. If we can minister to you at the front in this area, we'd love to pray for you. Hear the voice of the Lord for you. If you're wrestling with some things, if you want to respond to anything that the Lord is speaking to you about, if you've got a physical need, we pray for healing. We see it a lot. We love to pray for you today as well. This is worship. Amen.